Hey, my name's Keith. Uh, I have uh, been friends with Aaron Havens. Hopefully you know who that is. I've been friends with Aaron for, uh, I don't know. Well, we've known each other since 2004. Uh, he didn't like me for a few years, so I don't know really how long we've been friends. But uh, that's a whole other story. We were on staff together at a church in Texas uh, for several years. But right now, I pastor for the last four years. I've been pastoring like the y'all shirt over there. Uh, I've been pastoring Church Project down in Southeast Aurora, Church Project Southlands. That's where I am. And uh, so uh, I've known about Church Project for a while, been on uh, the Church Project team and network for about four years. Uh, When we were praying about coming up here and planning a church and being a part of the whole Church Project thing, um, I did a lot of prayer, did a lot of investigation, didn't know a lot about it. And um, but I, like I said, I knew Aaron, and so in December of 2012, it's hard to believe it's been that long. I actually came up to Colorado, you know, and I, and I had vacation in the mountains a lot, and and I thought, okay, I, I got to go check this out. I got to go church check church project out. I got to go church uh, check out church project in in Colorado, and 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 he was like, come to Greeley. I'm like, okay, cool, this would be great. So I came to Greeley. I'd never been to Greeley. I came to Greeley, and I was like, this isn't the mountains, but, uh, but it's cool. And so we came up in December. I came up in December, and it was really, really cool. It was, um, I came to an ugly Christmas sweater party. I don't know if you guys still do that thing, uh, but, but I came to that uh, in, in 2012. Uh, it was at someone's house. There was about, I don't know, 30 or 40 people there that Saturday night. It was really cool, really fun. They gave me a really ugly sweater to, to wear so that I could be a part of it. Uh, I think it was right after you wrote your hit song, you know, it's beginning to look a lot like Pinterest. You know, it's really cool. And, um, and so I had a blast. You know, I was like, man, I got to be a part of this. Because anybody that can write a song like that and dress in ugly Christmas sweaters, I got to be a part of that. So we continued to pray, continue to seek God, continue to say, hey, God, what do you want us to do? And, uh, and then in March of 2013, I started traveling up here uh, periodically, having meetings with, with people and um, praying with people to do that. One of those particular meetings was in May of 2013. Came up on a Tuesday, um, had a meeting with some people, prayed. On Wednesday, I, I actually went to the mountains a little bit, hiked around, and then, and then Aaron was like, you've got to come up to this thing on Wednesday night in May, and it was really cool. And so I drove all the way up here from um, just north of Colorado Springs, drove up here, and uh, you guys were doing, those of you that were part of Church Project back then, you may remember this, you were doing something that summer called the Art of Neighboring. I don't know if you remember that. Anybody shake anyone's head? Someone, two, three people? Yes, thank you. The yeshivas, yes. So, um, but it was at that particular night. So what it was was, I think it was a community thing. I think it wasn't a church project thing. It was more of a community thing, maybe a Colorado thing or a Greeley thing, where people were reaching out to their neighbors and inviting them to these parties, these dinners, um, once a month is what I think you guys were doing. And that particular day, it was at Aaron and Lauren's house. And I remember pulling up, and and I'm... I'll just let you know a little secret. I'm, I'm socially a crazy introvert. Like, I, I don't do social things well. Like, I'm kind of awkward. And, like, I can stand up here, and, but going to a party, it's kind of weird. So to drive up to this house, seeing all these people that I didn't know and having a party, I was like, oh, this is going to be kind of tough. But it was the coolest thing. There was about 65 or 70 people there, food everywhere, potluck, so it was a little iffy, a little sketchy. Uh, but, you know, it was good. And, and so, but, but I, I went up to Aaron. I remember going up to Aaron. I go, Aaron. I go, this is really cool, because Aaron would, back then, this was years ago, back when Aaron would be like, hey, like, 100 people show up at a party, 20 people will come to church. I mean, that's how, what he said. That's what he always said. And I was like, so there was like 70 people there, and I was like, man, how many of these people go to your church? Like, this is awesome. How many of these people? He goes, he goes, dude, I don't know half these people. Like, he goes, I met most of these people 
today in my front yard eating food. And I was like, I was like, first of all, I was shocked, but then I was like, man, that, that's really cool. I mean, that's really cool that <clears throat> you're uh, having this thing where you actually talk to people you don't know, right? Because I'm like, I can't do that, right? So I was like, that's really cool that you would reach out to people in your neighborhood and invite them to dinner. Like say, hey, come to my house and let's share a meal and let's talk and let's have fun. Um, and it was the coolest thing, the art of neighboring. And so uh, I said, I'm going to steal that. And so here we are four years later and I'm still going, I need to do that. Because <laughs> that's the coolest thing to like say, uh, and my wife's here so I can't lie, all right? I'm just, that's not me. Like I, to just invite random strangers and have a party in my front yard. But I think it's the coolest thing in this art of neighboring. <clears throat> One of the reasons I bring that up is because I wanna, uh, we're going to look at a passage today. Yes, we are going to study the word. We're going to look at a passage today in Luke 10. You can go ahead and flip there if you want or use your phone. Uh, Luke chapter 10 where he talks a little bit about what does it mean to be a neighbor? What does it mean to be a neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Now, I'll just go ahead and say this. <clears throat> I'm not as spiritual as Aaron. And uh, I know he just graduated from seminary. And he's a great guy. Uh, and, and I see that you guys use the ESV. Um, and uh, that's awesome. Uh, I have been preaching at Church Project for the last four years. And I've been preaching from the NIV just because it's a little bit easier to understand. Um, although the ESV is a better translation, probably. Um, so... <laughs> If I read this and you're like, that's not what my Bible says, all right, we know, we understand that we have different translations, so I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Um, but in this passage, they're, they're talking a little bit about what it means to be a neighbor. What does it look like to be a neighbor? Who's my neighbor? In fact, as we get into this, you'll see that a guy asked that question, well, who's my neighbor? All right, so Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we're going to start there. I'll just read this, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go. And do likewise. So I just wanted to unpack that a little bit. I think what Aaron told me, I think this is true. Uh, this may be new. I know last week you guys were off. Uh, but he told me that this summer you guys are going to be looking at stories of Jesus. Or, or, or Jesus' stories. And, and so I, I, love, I love, go figure, I love talking about Jesus. I was on Young Life staff for a long time. And, and so one of the things that we did is we just told Jesus stories all the time. And I, I love doing that. And <clears throat> but the danger in doing that, if there is one, is that these stories 
can be very, very familiar. Um, chances are this story, the story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan, is probably one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. In fact, I would venture to guess that if you walked around uh, Greeley or any, even anywhere in Colorado, even in Denver, and you walked around and you said, hey, do you know anything about the Good Samaritan? I would venture to guess that most people, even if they were not in church, unchurched, never been to church, chances are most people would have an idea of what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. They may not know the biblical version of it, but they probably go, oh yeah, that's a story about some guy that helped someone, right? I think most of us probably know a little bit about the story. And here's the problem with that, if there is one, is that when we listen to stories that are very familiar, it's very, very easy to kind of tune it out and go, oh yeah, yeah, I've already heard that. I've already heard that, I already learned that, someone taught me that, Aaron taught that two weeks ago, Keith, he didn't tell you? No, he didn't tell me that. You know, I've already learned everything that I'm supposed to learn. Jesus, God's already taught me everything that I'm supposed to, to learn from that story. So here's my challenge and my prayer for all of us. Even if you've heard this story hundreds of times or dozens of times, my hope and prayer is that God will give you a fresh word today of, of whatever he's dealing with in your life in your life, however he wants to teach you, whatever he wants to teach you today, there's something that we can all glean from this passage of scripture today because his, his word is alive and active, right? And we can learn from it. And we can read the same passage and we can study the same scriptures over and over and over and still learn from it. So my hope is that we will learn something from this today. Let's just kind of unpack this up. Here's what happens. So Jesus is teaching, he's talking to some people and this expert in the law, your, your translation, if you have the ESV, I think it says, and a lawyer, on an occasion, a lawyer stands up, stood up, all right? Basically, what happened was this really smart guy stood up and challenged Jesus. He wants to ask Jesus a question. In fact, if you read, if you study this enough, and a lot of scholars and commentaries will say this, that this guy really, this, the question really wasn't sincere. The question was really asked to kind of put Jesus on the spot. To test Jesus, let's see if this guy really knows what he's talking about. And so he asked this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, it's in essence a really good question. At the heart of it, it's a good question. It, was, it wasn't sincere, but it's a good question. But it was worded really poorly. Because the reality is, is he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, think about that. That's kind of an oxymoron, right? What must I do? What must I work at, achieve? What kind of things, steps do I go, to, go through in order to be given freely be bestowed, inherit eternal life. So it's not really a, a, a good you know, question as far as the phrasing of it, but the essence of the question is good because basically what he's saying is this. How do I have eternal life? How do I, how do I get saved? How do I, how do I miss hell and make heaven one day? How can I make sure I end up at the end of my days for all of eternity in the presence of God. So it's really a good question. It's actually a question that all of us have to come to terms with, we need to wrestle with, we need to deal with in this lifetime. Even though this guy wasn't being sincere, he was trying to put Jesus on the spot. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I love what Jesus does here. Because Jesus does what he always seemed to do with the religious people in, in, the, in Scripture, is that he kind of didn't really answer the question directly. Right? He, he did what a, probably a good professor would do, if maybe you're in school. Um, and that is that they, they kind of they rephrase your question another way back at you. And so Jesus is like, well, you're, you're a smart guy. You're an expert in the law. You're the lawyer. What, what do you think it says? He says, well, you know what the scripture says. What do you say? How do you read it? In other words, this is what he's saying. You're the smart guy in the room. You tell me what you think. 
You tell me how you read it. And so the guy said, okay, I'll do that. And he starts quoting the Torah. He starts quoting the book of the law. In fact, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Well, actually, verse 5. But that's the Shema, right? That's one of the prayers that the, the Jewish people, the religious people, would pray often in Deuteronomy 6, starting verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then he throws in, and with all your mind. So in essence, he's saying, love God with all of who you are, your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The essence of who you are, all of your passion, all of your love, all your intelligence, all of your physical body, love God. And then he says this, and he quotes Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Love your neighbor as yourself. The answer was perfect. In fact, Jesus even says, you've answered correctly. The answer's so good that there's another occasion, you can look this up later if you want to make sure I'm not making this up, but in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the first one is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor, and the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the commandments can be summed up in these two. That's what Jesus said. So this guy answered correctly. He gave the, great, the correct book answer. Have you ever given the, the, the correct book answer in school? And then your teacher was like, well, yeah, that's the... That's the book answer, but, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I think you just memorized the answer. This guy had memorized the answer. He gave the right theory. He gave the right book answer, but Jesus knew his heart wasn't right. In fact, Jesus said, man, you've, yes, you've answered correctly. Good, good job. Now, let me stop right there and just say this, because some of you are like, that's not what I've heard in church all my life. How do I get to heaven? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You're in. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Did we read that correctly? Yeah, that's what it says. Do this and you will live. Is Jesus saying that if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, that you're going to miss hell one day and make heaven? Does it mean that you're going to inherit eternal life? Is that it? Well, yes and no. Because in theory, yes. But in practice, no. Why? Why? Because none of us can do that, right? <laughs> Jesus is like, sure, well, that's great. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you do that perfectly, 100% all the time, and you love your neighbor as yourself, 100% all the time, you're perfect. And if you're perfect, yeah, you can, you can go to heaven. But Jesus is like, <laughs> you can't do that. I mean, think about it. Think about, think about the person in your life, someone you know, Maybe it's, maybe it's Pastor Aaron. That's the godliest, best person, most loved. Well, actually, it's not Aaron, it's Lauren. So um, it's, uh, right? Because the wives, you know, you're saintly. Uh, so, so think about that person that loves God. Like, seriously, you might know, maybe it's a grandma, an aunt, a, 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 you know, like for, I think of my, my wife's family, I'm thinking like her aunt, I mean, prayer warrior, passionate about Jesus, loves Jesus. I mean, think about that person. They love Jesus like so much. Still not perfect. We still wake up every day, <laughs> a lot of us, some days anyway, where we put, our, put other things in front of God. We love ourselves sometimes more than we love God. Love our stuff sometimes more than we love God. But let's just say, let's just say that we could do that. We could love God, all, all our heart, mind, soul, and strength perfectly. Now we got to love our neighbors, right? And not only do we have to love our neighbors, we have to love our neighbors as ourself. Now, here's the problem with that. Number one, I don't know your neighbors, but I know my neighbors. 
and I don't do that well. And not only that, I know that there are days when I don't, I look in the mirror and I'm like, I don't love me. So if I'm going to love my neighbor the way I love me, (laughs) then I'm not loving my neighbor very much because I don't really like myself. So I'm not perfect at it. I mean, I can try, but I'm going to fail. And so that's why we have, that's the gospel, right? That's, that's the essence of what the gospel is all about. I mean, the gospel in its simplest, purest form is that a holy God decided that he wanted relationships. And so in his creativity and his sovereignty and his wisdom, he, he made man in his own image to be in relationship with him. But very shortly after that happened, we derailed the process and we chose to go our own way and we turned our backs on God. And if you say, well, that was them and not us. Well, we've all faced, we all do the same thing every day. We choose to live our own way. We choose to be our own God. We choose to say, hey, God, I can be God for me better than you can be God for me. So I'm going to do things my own way. And so from the very beginning, God set into motion this process of rescue and redemption and restoration and reconciliation where he wanted to buy us back. And so at the perfect time, he sent his son into the world to live that perfect life. To go willingly and sacrificially to the cross one day to have his body broken and his blood spilled out for us so that he could pay the once and for all sacrifice because we couldn't do it on our, on our own. And he ransomed us back. He bought us back. And then if we place our faith and trust in Jesus and, and, and say he's the only way and I can't do this, it's not about what I do, it's about what you've done for me, we can have eternal life. That's how we inherit eternal life, right? Because we can't love God completely. And we can't love our neighbor as ourself perfectly. And so Jesus stepped in. And that's awesome. That's the gospel. And many of us have experienced that. And we experience that even every day. So Jesus is like, hey, you answered correctly. You are wise. Do this and you will live. And immediately this smart guy, because he's smart, right? He's an expert. Immediately this guy was like, that's hard. And so in verse 29, he, he, look at this. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. You know what he, that, that means? He wanted to kind of narrow the field. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? So he's probably, I mean, so in, in, in the ancient times, in the Jewish times, neighbor really meant one who was near. All right, in particular, a Jewish person that was near. So he's going like, okay, so how far does that extend? Is it like the next, next door neighbor on this side and on this side and then across the street? Or is it like the whole street? Or is it the whole village or the whole town? Or I mean, what, what, what's, who's my neighbor? Like how far out? Is it everyone in my church? Because quite frankly, there's some people in my church I don't really like that much. So I mean, like who do I love, right? Who do I love? Don't point at anyone, okay? <laughs> I saw some of you like, yeah, that's why I'm sitting over here. No, um, right? I mean, it's hard. And so he's trying to narrow the field. Like who do I love? Like who's my neighbor? Because this is hard. And, and so he's like, he's already backtracking. Okay, I got the answer. Ooh, that's a tough answer. So he's backtracking. And Jesus, man, he sees it. He knows it. But instead of pointing it out, he again, he doesn't answer the question directly. But he, he, he's going to tell a story here in just a minute. All right, who's my neighbor? Now, if you're taking notes, and I know that at least one person is, so that's awesome. All right. If you're taking notes or if you just want to make a mental note. Here's, here's a question that you should write down or ask yourself. We should all ask ourselves. How am I expressing my love for God and my love for people? How am I expressing my love for God and my love for people? Another way that you can phrase that is how am I expressing my love for God by loving people? 
am I doing that? And if I am, how am I doing that? How is that being expressed in the way that I live my life? How am I loving God and loving people? So Jesus answers this by telling a parable, telling a story. Here's the story part of it, right? And, and a parable, and you probably know this, and someone probably told you this last time you talked about stories, is a parable is just a story that could happen but didn't necessarily happen um, but it's an everyday, common language kind of uh, illustration, excuse me, story, and, uh, but it has a deeper meaning. Jesus is teaching a point. He's telling a story to make a deeper spiritual point to his audience. And so what Jesus often does when he's talking to farmers, he talks farming kind of stuff. When he's talking to ranchers, he talks rancher stuff kind of stuff. I mean, you see this all the time, right? A farmer goes out to sow some seed, you know, or... or um, a man, there was a man who had two sons. And there, I mean, lo and behold, there was someone in the crowd that had two sons, right? I mean, like people, this is a common, people understood what Jesus was saying. And so Jesus tells a story. And he says this in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Now, everyone there in that audience would have been able to track with Jesus. Everyone there would have been like, oh yeah, I've been down that road. I've gone that direction. We've all walked from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and the thing about that path from, Jer- from Jerusalem to Jericho, there's a couple things. First of all, Jerusalem is a little over 2,000 feet above sea level. Now, for us, for us that live here in Colorado, we're like, 2,000 feet, whatever, right? Like, I don't even break, I don't even breathe hard until I'm at six, right? <laughs> I live at 6,100 feet, and I can't get out of bed without breathing hard, right? So... But they're, I mean, they're like, okay, I, I get this. They go 2,000 feet above sea level. Jericho is almost 900 feet below sea level. So, no, it wasn't underwater, but it was below sea level, okay? And so they would, roll, they would walk down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Someone just got that. So they would walk from Jerusalem to Jericho. And, and, and it was about 20 miles, a little less than 20 miles. Now, there was a shorter route, but that shorter route went through Samaria. And the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They, in fact, they despised each other. Um, it was a very tense thing. The Jewish people thought that the Samaritans were um, ungodly. They, thought, they actually called them half-breeds because they married outside of their faith and outside of their race and religion. And, and so the Jews would try to be holier than thou and, and just like, hey, we don't have, want anything to do with the Samaritans. You've probably heard some of the stories, right? And so they would go out of their way to go around Samaria when they were going anywhere. From, from Judea to Galilee, they would go the long route. And this route on this road was nicknamed the Bloody Way. The Bloody Way. Because it was treacherous, the road wasn't very good, it was steep, it was rocky, it was hot. Um, and there were slot canyons. And th- th- there were people that could easily just lie in wait in these canyons to attack people that would come by. In fact, they did that from time to time. And so when Jesus is telling the story, it's a parable. This isn't a historical event. But it's definitely something that they could relate to and something that could take place. And Jesus tells a story where this guy, this Jewish guy, is, is walking along and he's by himself, which they would never do. And he gets attacked. And he's beaten and he's left for, for dead. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. Now, this is important because, I mean, you, th- you would think that the religious people the priest and the Levites, the assistant priest, all right, you would think that they would stop and help. I mean, you know, the pastor comes along, and surely he's going to stop. Nope, he keeps going. Okay, no, the house church pastor is going to stop, right? No, sure, he just, he's just got to go. He's just going to keep going, 
right? So the religious people didn't stop. And, and so on one hand, the people were probably like, well, surely they'll stop. And on the other hand, they're probably like, oh, yeah, those religious hypocrites, right? And so they're listening to the story. And then the natural tendency or the natural progression of the story would be for, for a, a Jewish person to come by and stop. But that's not where Jesus goes. Now, let me just say this because I think this is important. Some scholars believe or have argued that maybe in this story, and maybe it would have made sense, that this priest and Levite didn't stop because there are all kinds of scriptures back here in what we call the Old Testament, but they didn't call it that because they didn't have a New Testament. They just called it um, Testament. No, they just called it the law. And so they, they would just memorize this stuff. And there's scriptures all here, these first five books, right, that talk about things you can and can't do. And they had all these rules and regulations and rituals and all this stuff. And part of it, some of it was there were things that you could do or touch or eat that would make you unclean ceremonially unclean, where you couldn't go to the synagogue, you couldn't worship, you couldn't offer sacrifices, you couldn't worship and, and be with other people. And so here's the priest, and here's the assistant priest, and one of those things was you can't touch dead bodies, right? I'm not really sure how they got around that when someone died, but, but, but you can't do that, right? It makes you ceremonially unclean and for a period of time. And so, so maybe, I mean maybe, let's give them the benefit of, that, the, benefit of the doubt, that the, the priest and the Levite are like, well, that's going to make me unclean, I think he's dead, so let's just keep going. Now, I'm not sure how likely that was, uh, because there's far more scriptures that talk about how we are to extend mercy and love and grace, and we're to help people that are in need, that we're supposed to uh, meet and see a need and meet a need, that we're supposed to reach out to the people who are poor and desolate and hungry and all those things. And so, really, what we should be doing is, is showing mercy no matter what. And, and let me just let you know a little secret. God would understand, right? I mean, if we, if we showed lo- God's love, he, he gets it, right? And so, but for whatever reason, they just keep going. They don't stop. They keep going. And I'm sure there are people in the crowd that are like, yep, bunch of religious hypocrites. Now, I wonder, I wonder if sometimes we kind of do the same thing. I wonder if there are times when we are in such a hurry to go somewhere. And I'm not talking about, you know, like as a pastor. I'm just talking about as people or as followers of Jesus, if you are one. That we get so busy in our own little world or we get so wrapped up in our own little world or we get so focused on the tunnel vision that we have that we're passing by people that are hurting, people that are in need emotionally, physically, relationally, financially, and we're just like, nope, don't have time, don't have time, i got to keep going, and you're just going, right? i got to get my coffee, you know, whatever it is. You're just, man, we're just tunnel vision. I wonder how many people, how often, how many days, if we're just closed. I had a conversation earlier with somebody this morning that talked about all these, seeing God work and God events and God things happening all the time. Like, how many of us walk through life going, okay, God, I expect you to show up. Yeah, where are you, God? I think sometimes we're just like, nope, i just got to do this thing, you know? I can't stop and help someone in, in, in need because I'm going to church, right? Kind of weird, but I think sometimes we operate that way. Years ago, and it was years ago, I won't tell you how long ago, but, but my wife and I, we were living um, in our first home, and uh, we were uh, fairly newly married, so it's been a while. I had more hair then. And um, we, uh, I don't know, if you, if you own a home, you probably know this. When you buy a house, I mean, you can buy the nicest house, the best house, the house of your dreams. You can buy the one you want. You can get it for the price you want. You can be in the neighborhood you want. But that doesn't mean you get to pick your neighbors. 
and it seems like you, you show up, and, and like you get in this house, and it seems like there's always that one or two or three neighbors that you're like, ah, oh, this would be a great street if he or she didn't live on it, right? And um, we, we had a, a neighbor, and I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, it's been, it's been like 16, 17, 18 years, I don't know, since we moved there, actually 1998 is when we moved in, so it's been almost 20 years. And I, to this day, I'm sure I learned it at some point. I'm sure I was told it. I'm sure I actually called her by name. But I don't know this lady's name. I don't remember her name for anything. Like, I can't, like, it doesn't matter. Like, if you told me her name, I'd be like, no, I just can't remember. Because to me, she was just called the mean lady. That's all I called her. I mean, like, like, to this day, 20 years later, she's just the mean lady, all right? And she's not in here. Okay, so we're good. (laughs) The mean lady. I mean, she was mean, right? And sometimes she was so mean, we didn't even call her the mean lady, we just called her mean lady. And, uh, we, and, and it was crazy. So we had good neighbors, but I mean, she would do things over this period of six years that we lived there. She would just do things over and over and over that just was like, just, that earned her that title, all right? Don't like get mad at me. She earned it. She deserved it, right? So like, like little kids in our neighborhood, we didn't have kids yet, but little kids in our neighborhood, our other neighbor, their little kids, their little one and two or three-year-old would ride their little tricycles and scooters and all kinds of big wheels along the sidewalk. He'd be like, oh, that's so cute. That's so cute. That you ride in front of my house. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. And then get in front of her house. And she would, I'm not making this up. You can ask my wife. She would run out of her house and start screaming, get off my property. Get off my property. To these little kids on tricycles. And you're like, what is wrong with you? I mean, it was crazy. We had a party one time. I say a party. We had our family over, like my, her, my, my brother-in-laws. And they can be crazy, but they weren't being crazy. And we were just hanging out outside. And like the next week, I see her. She goes, oh, hey, you've got such a nice backyard. I'm like, oh, thank you. Appreciate that. She says, you know, when Tim and Karen, those are the previous owners, when Tim and Karen lived here, they would, they would have people over and hang out in their backyard. You ought to try that next time. I'm like, what did she just say? Like, like just stuff like that. I mean, com- she would comment, you know, I'm not a yard guy. Some of you guys are yard guys. God bless you. I'm not a yard guy. And, uh, and I, just, I just don't have time or care. And, but, you know, I would, I'll mow, you know. And uh, so I, the spring rolled around. I was like, I best, guess I better clean up the leaves and mow and everything. And I'm out there working one day with my earphones in. And she's in her yard working. And she starts talking to me. And I'm like, hey. And she starts, hey, your yard looks really good. And I was like, wow, mean lady just complimented me my yard. She goes, your yard looks really good. I'm like, thank you so much. That's awesome. She goes, well, I guess next year I'll just neglect my yard for three months and let my leaves pile up and maybe my yard will look as good as yours. And I'm like, did she just say, I'm like, see, you judged me. She was a mean lady. But the one that threw it over the top was, uh, we had these things down in Texas called tropical storms or hurricanes. And, uh, this thing came through and uh, it was Tropical Storm Allison. Such a, such a lovely name. If your name's Allison, I apologize. But uh, not that your name is Allison, but that you had a tropical storm named after you. Um, <clears throat> so this tropical storm comes through. I'm sorry. I, I really didn't mean anything by that. Um, dumps 10 inches of rain in a day, 24 hours. Not that much in Texas. We can handle that. Like, it, we drain really well, and it's good. We, we handled it, but it was tough. Moved through, and then one of those big northerly fronts came out of the Rockies, and, and, and came through late in the late like in June, and it, it it hit that tropical storm and it pushed that tropical storm back south. So literally, I'm not kidding you. The tropical storm moved through Houston, went up from southeast Texas to northeast Texas, hit this hit this front, and then just reverse course, 180 degrees, just dropped straight back south. 30 inches of rain in 24 hours, and the city of Houston 
was a lake. I mean, I'm talking 10, 12 feet of water on freeways. Um, our water tables, like you, you, you dig a hole and you strike water or oil. But I mean, you just like, it's like, you, you can't have basements there. But, but in downtown Houston, there's tunnels like people would walk through from one building to another. Rivers just flooded. Everything flooded. And I remember, I mean, we're new, I mean, we're fairly new to, to this homeownership thing. And we're, and we're watching, and we're watching this water rise. And it comes to the curb, and into the, the sidewalk, and into the middle of the yard. And it keeps coming up. And, and I remember looking, I mean, every, every like 30 minutes, I'm going to the window, looking through the blinds, like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's getting higher and higher and higher. And I start freaking out. So at one point, I said, come on, Christina. You know, I told my wife, I was like, come on. And uh, I said, pick up that couch. And so we like picked up the couch and, uh, and they were sleeper sofas. They were really, no, not really. And so like we picked up the couch and like we had two couches. that We didn't have much furniture. And we picked up these two couches and took them up the stairs. And then we, I took across uh, apart our, our dining room table because it's like this precious possession we just got. And so I took it apart, took it upstairs. Uh, then I asked my other neighbor, Jamie, to come over and, and, and help me with my TV because back then, it's so long ago, I know some of you younger people don't remember this, it, we didn't have flat screens. It was one of those big Sony, like, Vega TVs. Like, it was like 500 pounds, you know. And I'd just gotten it for, like, the Christmas before. So we carried that thing upstairs. So pretty soon, like, within 30 minutes, I got everything upstairs. And now I'm feeling good because all, all I have downstairs is carpet, sheetrock. That's it. Drywall. You know, I'm like, that's it. And I'm like, I'm good. I helped my other neighbor, Jamie, do some things in his house. So about four in the morning, I'm looking out at the blinds. The, the water's coming up. I mean, it's scary, raining. And my wife goes, hey, don't you think you should go help the neighbor? And I'm like, I did. <laughs> Jamie's good. She goes, no, no, no. Don't you think you should go help the neighbor? And I go, who are you talking about? She goes, you know. I go, no. She, <laughs> she goes, I go, who? She goes, you know, the mean lady. And I'm like, no, I don't. I was bitter. Like, I was just like, like no. Mm-mm. And then this is what she says to me. She goes, well, that's a real good attitude, pastor. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, she played the pastor card. And so... I said, okay, I'll do it. I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. I mean, this is a lady who had called the police on us when we were having a Bible study with Young Life kids. The cop shows up and is like, what's going on here? I'm like, we're having a Bible study. He goes, are you serious? I go, yeah. He goes, you've got to be kidding me. Like, I wish we got more calls like this. This, this is this lady, this mean lady, lady, you know, and so I go over there, I knock on the door about 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, and she answers the door, like, just stunned. I'm surprised I didn't walk onto the driveway and, get off my property, you know, so, like, but I, I get to her door, knock on it, she opens the door, I go, I go, hey, I go, hey, as you can tell, we're flooding, it's scary, I don't know, you, she had a one-story house, so, like, she didn't have an upstairs, and, uh, and I said, hey, you know, I just wanted to come by and say, if there's, see if there's anything I can do for you, if you want me to help you, she lived alone, wasn't married, no kids, I said, go figure, right, and so, like, like so, <laughs> She was a mean lady. She was mean. And so, sorry. So sorry. God, please forgive me for saying So mean. So mean. So bad. It's nice meeting you guys. Aaron will never have me back. So, so I go over there, and I, tell, I, just, I just look at her. I say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? You know? 
On the inside, I'm going, I really don't want to do this. But I was like, you know, is, can I help you? I said, you know, put, put your furniture, couch up on pots and pans. You know, get your photo albums, if you have those sorts of things, on, on like your kitchen counter table, something. Can I do something for you? And I mean, it literally, she like a snake. I mean, her jaw like hit the ground like, I can't believe you're going to offer this. After all the things, that's what I'm thinking anyway. I can't believe after all the things I've done for you or to you that you would offer this. And I help her. I spend the next 30 minutes just helping her pick things up and, and all that. Now, I did not like her. I don't know if you can tell. I despised her. She was not an easy neighbor to get along with. Um, I wish I could tell you that that changed everything. So from there on out, we're like, you know, like, like, you know, hey, neighbor, what's up? You know, and like, your music would play and stuff. But it wasn't like that. I mean, she, like, a couple weeks later, she sent me a note like, hey, neighbor, we need to have a talk. And uh, I didn't like it, but it was the right thing to do because she was my neighbor. And because I'm a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus is telling the story. And, and the guy asks who my neighbor is. And, and Jesus doesn't give the answer. The people that you like. The people that you get along with. The people that are easy to live with. The people that do things for you, do, do it for them. He, he, he says, oh, here's your, here's your neighbor. And so he goes to this next thing. And this is the, this is the change. Because the natural progression, excuse me. The natural progression would have been for like a fellow Jew came along and saw a Jewish guy in need and helped him. But that's not where Jesus goes. Look at verse 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. So a despised Samaritan, a Samaritan who had every right to hate the Jewish guy because of the way he was treated by the Jews. And he's the one that stops. And it says, took pity on him. I think your translation of the ESV says, had compassion. That means from the seat of one's emotion, from the very heart of who the person was, he had compassion. He had pity. And it says he took him and he bandaged him. And I'll speed this up for time's sake. But he, he, he bandaged him up with his own clothes. He put oil and wine. It cost him time. It cost him energy. It cost him his effort. It cost him money, his possessions. And then he picked the guy up and put him on his donkey and took him to an inn and stayed there all night taking care of this guy that he didn't know that would have never done the same thing for him. Would have left him for dead. And the next day, he gets up, and he goes to the innkeeper, and he says, here's two days' wages. I don't know how much you make in a day, but that's a lot of money no matter what you make. Two days' wages. And he says, I'm paying for this guy. Look after him. I'll come back in a few days, and if I owe you anything else, I will pay you. He goes way beyond what's expected. He goes way beyond what's asked of him. But he does the right thing, and he shows mercy. And love and kindness to this guy. He acts like a neighbor. The apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loves. If you ever studied the book of John, he likes to call himself that. The disciple whom Jesus loved wrote it this way in 1 John 3. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with just words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Man, we're supposed to show our love. And that's what the Samaritan did for this Jewish man in the story that Jesus tells. Now look how this, Jesus wraps all this up. He tells a story, and then he looks at the man, and he says this. Which of these three 
do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? So it's like Jesus delivers the blow, right? He paints this picture, he tells a story, and then he asks this question, and there's other people there. And this expert in the law, this really smart guy, has nothing that he can say or do but to be honest and tell the truth. And as reluctant as he probably wanted to do this, he said, it says this in verse 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Who's the neighbor? The one who had, not the religious leader, not the priest, not the assistant priest, not the person that claims to know God, the hated, despised Samaritan. He's the one who's the true neighbor. Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbor? Not with a simple answer, a simple definition, but by painting a picture and telling a story that your neighbor and my neighbor and our neighbors its really not limited to anybody. It can be anyone in need, anyone we come in contact with, anyone who's hurting. The gospel is for everyone. That's what I love about the gospel, that we are supposed to to love people who are near to us and far from God. And show mercy, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done. Even if it's hard, even if it's inconvenient, even if they don't vote the way we vote, even if they don't go to the same church as us, even if they don't go to church at all, even if they have a different religion, religion even, even if it's the mean lady. We're to show love. And so Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, great, do that, and you'll live. But we can't do that. Not perfectly. But we are to do that as much as we are capable of doing. To everyone we come in contact with, we are to be the gospel. Right? There's that danger, right, of knowing something so well that it just kind of, yeah, I've heard this story. I've been told that before, and we just kind of tune it out, and we just go along our day. But my hope is, my hope is that we will walk away today just going, yeah, I need to be more loving and kind and more neighborly to people. How am I expressing my love for God and my love for people? How am I expressing my love for God by the way that I love people? How am I doing that? Am I doing it? Jesus says, go and do likewise. Um, over the last few years, there's, I don't know if you guys ever pay attention to the commercials. That's what I love about DVRing things because you can just kind of fast forward through, you know, through commercials and skip them. But there's commercials on TV and there's a, lot of, I mean, there's a lot of creative commercials. I know some of us watch the Super Bowl for commercials and things like that. But uh, except when the Broncos are in Super Bowl, right? I would say except when the Texans are in the Super Bowl, they never are. So um, <clears throat> it's true. It's true. It is sad. Thank you. Um, but there's these commercials. The insurance commercials seem to be really good. Like, there's a lot of really good insurance commercials. I mean, they're kind of getting old. I mean, now Progressive's got Susan Lucci in, her com- in their commercials, you know, things like that. But you've got Progressive, and you've got Allstate, and you've got Geico with the little lizard or whatever, Gecko or whatever it is. And then, and then, but the one that I probably remember the most or think of the most um, is, um, is, all, is uh, State Farm, right? Does anybody know the tagline? Anyone? Like a good neighbor... State Farm is there. I know it's cheesy, and I don't expect you to, don't make a t-shirt that says this, but, but when I think of that, and when I read the story, I think of this. Like a good neighbor, who's my neighbor? We just learned, right? 
But my hope is that, that like a good neighbor, as Christ followers, we'll be there. That like a good neighbor, as the church, as Christians that have a bad reputation, I mean, that's why we say at Church Project, we're, we want to change the way that people see Christ, Christians in the church. That like a good neighbor, that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as the church, we will be there for people in need. And I know you guys do that well. That like a good neighbor, when people hear, know, and think of Church Project, that they'll go, wow. Those people love Jesus really, really well by loving other people. That's my hope. All right. Hey, can I pray for you guys? Let's pray. God, thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for you for your word. God, I thank you that, that your word, um, that you wrote it, that you, um, that you preserved it so that even on a day today, like today, Thousands of years later, you would know that we would be studying your scripture and wrestling with the scripture. Thank you that we don't have to really, add, we don't have to add to it or make any things up, but we can just open it up and we can just, we can just really dive into it and that it can change our hearts and our lives. And I pray that that's what this passage does for us. I pray for people like me, God, that maybe have a hard time loving people who seem unlovable. I pray that you would soften our hearts that you would make us more like you, that you'd help us to reach out, to reach across religious lines and political lines and generational lines, and that we would love people well. I thank you that your word teaches us that, that they will know us by our love for one another. I pray that we do that well. Help us today and this week just to think about that question. How how are we expressing our love for you and our love for others? Maybe God here, there's some people here today that maybe they're beating themselves up because they know they're not loving you well. Maybe they're maybe like me, there are days when we just don't feel like expressing our love. We don't feel like praying. We don't feel like worshiping. We don't feel like reading the word. We don't feel like loving others. And so we feel like we don't do that well. Thank you that you are a God of grace and that you love us not for what we do, but for who we are, that you love us in spite of ourselves. And that even when we're unfaithful, you're faithful. I pray for that person here today that might just be beating themselves up for not loving you well. I pray that you would just breathe life into them and they would know that you are their love. God, for many of us in this room that probably need to just love others better. Thank you that it's not about what we do, that we inherit eternal life, but it's about what's been done. But God, help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The expression, the the visible expression of your grace here on earth today. Help us to be the church, to love our neighbors that we Today, God, I pray as we drive down the road, as we walk down down the sidewalks, as we go into restaurants, as we rub shoulders with people at stores or whatever we do this week at work or at school or wherever we are, God, that you would help us to pay attention and see people who are in need, see people who are hurting, and maybe, just maybe, just say, is there something I can do for you? How can I help you? How can I pray for you? God, thanks. Thanks that we get to do that. 
Thank you for this church, these people, Church Project Greeley. I pray that you bless them, grow them, protect them. I pray for Aaron and his family as they're away. I pray that you'd pour into them and he would come back with passion and vision for this church and these people. Thank you for the other leaders that are here that do a great job. We love you, Jesus. It's always only totally about you that we do this thing called church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.